again, starting from the basics, just having simple conversations with your customers. And those could just be one-on-one conversations, right? But don't forget nowadays, even if you're not willing to have the conversation, your customers are having conversations about you anyways, from comments to posts to reviews. And those are also uh, great places to mine for insights and data and information. This methodology really allows everyone to participate. And as a result, we see that the transcripts from these sessions are really much longer and have much more information because you're actually hearing from everyone. My name is Darshan Mehta. I'm the founder and CEO of iResearch. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today how Darshan Mehta created the tool to empower you to conduct inside sessions at any time and in any language. All this and more on Code Story. Darshan Mehta has a degree in marketing and finance and has typically served those disciplines. However, he has been accused of having the extra tech gene since he was born in India. He really likes to do activities around what he's passionate about. For example, he's launching a hackathon in Bangkok called Big Mango to help teams achieve product market fit and incubate early stage startups. And he teaches at universities around the world, in particular around how to give presentations. He believes deeply in communicating effectively and having engaging conversations. He's also an author and just recently released his book called Getting to Aha. The tagline harps on the belief that today's insights become tomorrow's facts. One of the things Darshan found throughout his career was that most people want to figure out why people buy your products. Most people are comfortable with surveys, but it's difficult to get to the why that way. And focus groups help with that. But traditionally, doing a focus group has been difficult, expensive, and concentrated to geographical areas. Darshan set out to build a tool to change this for the market. This is the creation story of iResearch. iResearch is uh, basically an online platform, SaaS platform, to help you gain insights. And basically, there's two ways to do research. One method is to do surveys or what we call quantitative methodology. And the other is doing qualitative, such as focus groups. And traditionally, focus groups have been very expensive and been really for the big companies that can afford them. And so with our research, I'm looking to change that and make it much more affordable to do focus groups on demand from anywhere in any language. Um, I mean, basically, each session uh, uh, is no more than the cost of a nice lunch for, for two people. Um, you know, so it really makes it much more affordable. So how did I get here? Uh, I've been coming from the world of marketing and advertising and branding, as I said, and one of the things I've noticed in consulting, so I started doing consulting, right? This is before even the digital uh, rush to the internet and everything. Um, And one of the things I found is that most people want to find out why. Why do people do what they're doing? What's behind the decision-making process to make them make the decision to buy or not buy your product? And what I found is that people tend to do surveys because they're more familiar with them and everyone's taken a survey, right? And they cost less. But in reality, the surveys never get at the why. 
For example, you can ask open-ended questions in the survey, but most people don't answer them. So you end up doing surveys with fixed questions and fixed answer choices. And what I found what works better is if you have those initial conversations through focus groups or one-on-one interviews or whatever to find out more about your customers and your target market, you will actually end up with better surveys. You'll have better questions and better answer choices. So if you use both methodologies in that manner, you can actually get a much deeper, insightful information to really make you stand out and differentiate your product or service in the marketplace. How did you come up with the name iResearch? That was actually quite a story. So this is the days before even Google. It was Yahoo was the search engine at the time. And the way things were listed in Yahoo was alphabetical order. And so instead of having, you know, three A's or five A's in front of research, I realized that if you put an exclamation point, it goes to the very top of the list. So the name was exclamation research. However, you can't get a domain name with an exclamation. So I had to use an I. And so hence, I research. (laughs) Tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? We developed um, uh, using Cold Fusion at the time back in those days. It was just a simple chat software, to be honest with you. Uh, But from that, we learned a lot. First of all, we were actually just testing the methodology for doing online focus groups. Is it going to work? Is it feasible? Um, you know, what about the face-to-face interaction? All these questions and issues. And we found out very quickly uh, two unique things that happen with a chat-based focus group. Again, this is interesting enough too, this is chat-based because we've tried all the other uh, ways. And the two things that we found with the chat-based are real advantages are this. One, when you pose a question to the group, and typically you have about 10 uh, to 15 people. Um, when you pose a question in a chat, everyone can answer without interrupting each other. And so you get their top of mind thoughts and information, but then everyone can see what everyone else says and then they can feed off of that. And so that's really helped really uh, take away uh, one of the challenges we have with face-to-face groups is that there's always a few people that are very quick to respond out of the gate. And then you often don't hear from some of those other ones that are the deep, quiet thinkers because they haven't had the chance to express their opinion because now they've moved on. Whereas this methodology really allows everyone to participate. And as a result, we see that the transcripts from these sessions that are online are really much longer and have much more information because you're actually hearing from everyone on every question practically. The second benefit is that we have found that when people articulate their thoughts into writing, they tend to be a little bit more thoughtful. Again, we don't we emphasize don't worry about grammar and spelling, but we find that they go through an extra step of thinking and articulating to put their thoughts into writing. And we can still glean their personalities and, and everything. For example, if you think about it now, how much of your day is spent text-based communication from email to texting and everything? A lot, I would say. And you can still glean people's personalities and thoughts and stuff quite easily. So then, with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs. So sticking around the product, right? What sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term um, when you were building this? And and how did you cope with them? Uh, I think that the the way 
um, the driving force for me is the customer experience. And so my goal is to keep it as simple as possible. But it was a bit of a challenge because in focus groups, you really have three different roles as well as three different screens because you have the moderator, right? Who's going to control the session. They need to control everything. There's also the participants coming from all over. There's anywhere from 10 to 15 participants, let's say. And then you also have clients and they have a different interface to be able to see what's going on uh, as well. And so that was a challenge, but to keep it simple was really the way to do it. Um, and luckily, you know, I was doing this developing the product as I was doing consulting. So it was meeting my needs which I was trying to meet the needs of my clients. So it allowed me to you know, really keep it simple and easy. And uh, I mean, there's many other things we want to add on to it later. But I also realized, you know, with a new tool like this, you have to get your market up to speed to your level of comfort and understanding of this tool as well. And once they do, then they're going to be ready for their features and benefits. But not only that, chances are they'll even drive some of those features and benefits uh, once they start using it and saying, hey, this is something that we could really use and so on. So... Um, even though I have some thoughts where we want to take it, I'm still looking to get feedback to get more direction um, from the customers as well. How have you progressed the product and how have you matured it? And, and to, to kind of wrap that in a box, how did you go about building your roadmap and deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or create with iResearch? Yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge because I was actually creating new tools uh, as well, and technology was evolving as we were developing this. For example, uh, one of the criteria for our software uh, being web-based is we really don't want any installations or downloads or plugins for people to deal with, because that takes away from certain segment of the audience that just can't deal with it, because our goal is to be able to have this simple, easy, and affordable, uh, but easy to use for pretty much anyone who can just use a browser. And so we had to develop some new technologies and luckily things were changing and stuff along the way that we were able to incorporate them. But we had to do that to create a whiteboard. For example, our whiteboard captures everything you're doing, but then actually you can play it back as a video recording, but that's without a plugin or a download. Hmm, that's interesting. So how, how did you achieve that? <laughs> well, luckily I, I found smarter engineers and stuff that <laughs> I could certainly do but uh, I kind of knew what I needed to have done. And so we were just able to, you know, find the right people, kind of experiment, learn. And, you know, it's been a big learning curve as well for me. But again, what was driving it is I wanted simplicity for the users in terms of the moderator, the participants and the clients so that they don't have to worry about the technological challenges of how to use um, the software. Because ultimately the software is just a tool, right? My main goal, and the main goal for people that are using software, is to generate an engaging conversation. Not to have a bunch of bells and whistles and worry about the technology. It just should be there to facilitate what you're doing. So I think that's something to think about. What is it ultimately you're selling, right? For example, was Kodak selling film and cameras, or were they really selling memories? And I would say, they were most successful when they were selling memories. And so ultimately, our goal with the software is to facilitate conversations at scale from a diverse geography of participants. 
Well, you mentioned earlier hiring you know smarter people than you to to work on your team right how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you well i've been bootstrapping it doing it myself because i really uh feel i need to get it to a certain point to prove it to myself and then also to validate it so i've been outsourcing a lot of it um to uh teams um uh, because they have the skill sets and they can keep up with it and then that that allowed me to be nimble enough to switch teams if i needed to um so i've outsourced to people in the US uh Europe as well as in Asia uh for various uh you know needs and talents that i needed interesting how, how did you how did you decide or how did you go about um, maybe filtering those individuals or those agencies or those teams you worked with to figure out okay these these are the people that you know need to come in and help me shape my research That's a great question because that was a challenge all along and there's no one methodology other than you know using your friendly search engine to find all kinds of different opportunities and talent out there but once I found them I try to have a conversation. <laughs> Hard to believe, right? I try to have a conversation with them and I look for uh 3 things plus 1. <laughs> and those three things are one, are they thinkers, are they doers, and are they hungry? Because those are things I can't teach or bring to the table. Like even if they weren't able to have the exact solution I needed in my conversation, if I could see they were thinking about ways to maybe solve it. because I've learned and this is the fourth element that I think you need is being a bit philosophical. And I actually had to look up the meaning of philosophical and I learned actually what it means even though I've used it for years. It's actually critical thinking and knowing that there's more than one way to solve a problem. And so I try to gauge or assess that in conversations I have with people before I hire them if they have the ability to actually be hungry enough and thinking and and doing to solve a problem even if they don't have the right solution out of the gate that's okay i just know we can i can get there with that person cuz i don't necessarily have it either right i kind of know my destination i don't necessarily know the the highway the pathways to get there as long as i know that i can work with someone to find the most efficient way to get there so then let's switch to scalability and this may be you know bit on on how you how you chose the teams to work with but but even even in your processes how did you approach scalability did you did you build this to scale efficiently from day 1 or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction with i research and with with other things no i we, i tried to design it to scale it from day 1 because i didn't want to get in a situation where you know customers are trying to use it and wanting to do more groups and stuff and i wanted to make sure that they don't have uh an interruption in that process at all so it was kind of designed from day one to scale up uh, as we're going along so how did you go about that process is it infrastructure scaling is it technology from a a metaphorical architecture standpoint tell me a little bit about that it's both it's both software and hardware right kind of knowing that the path to take and now again the challenge of course you know <clears throat> doing this with uh limited funds and stuff I also wanted to make sure that I had control of the cost so you know coming up with strategies hardware wise to have in you know, a fixed cost as much as possible but also have the ability to uh as needed as the as the business you know grows to then be able to expand that 
but also designed it from the software and kept testing it all throughout to ensure that basically um, it has an efficient use of uh, code to have efficient use of resources uh, on the hardware side. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I think to keep it simple, um, that is probably the hardest thing to do, right? Because I've been very tempted at times, oh my God, we can do this, this would be really cool. But you have to kind of learn to say, okay, this is cool, but maybe at a later time. Um, but having said that, I think every product should have a little bit of a, a cool factor or a wow factor. And the reason I say that is um, I designed my product to do three things, again, plus one. Um, one is I want it to be easy, I want it to be affordable, and I want it to be, um, you know, save people time. And so I just thought about this. I mean, for me, I think in any business, if any business can save someone time, make it easy, or, you know, uh, make it much more affordable, if you can do any one of those things, your chance of being successful are good. However, if you can do two or three of those things, I think you either can 2x or 3x your chance of being successful. But then the plus one is if you can evoke an emotion with your product or service, I think you can have maybe 6x or 10x or 12x. I don't know. It depends on the emotion, right? But I think that can make a big difference in terms of your product's success in the future. As well, as I think it can also expedite and help your marketing of the product as well. If there's something that makes people say, wow, that's really cool, because that's when they're likely to share it and mention. Steve Jobs, I think, did this with the iPod when it first came out, right? He was in a position to recognize that the price of hard drives are coming down. But he also knew that he could put it all into a package and give the one benefit that everyone could understand immediately. And that is, you can now take a thousand songs in your pocket. <laughs> I mean, they weren't the first MP3 player, but now, I mean, the thought of you'd be able to take a thousand songs in your pocket was pretty amazing. But then he threw the one little wow factor on top of that as well, which was that flywheel. It was like, how cool is that? You can fly through your music super fast and it doesn't even seem like it's a thousand songs you're going through. Yeah, I remember that from a job standpoint, saying that the thousand songs in your pocket, he was a master at kind of coining those phrases to really evoke that emotion and cult following, I will say. And I think that's what he was trying to do. I mean, he knew the benefit that he was going to drive. And it was a benefit that you and I would instantly recognize, right? And not only that, he took the, he took the iPod out of his pocket, right? And he said, now you can take a thousand so, uh, songs in your pocket. And that was a huge benefit because back then, if you remember, we were like, you know, how many CDs am I going to take with me? Or, how, you know, I can't take my entire collection with me, so I had to pick and choose, right? And then you have to switch them around and change them and stuff. But then that was an instant benefit. But then that wow factor was that flywheel on top of that. I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Uh, there were times when I got a little too complicated with it. I did have a, uh, a problem one time with some developers where um, they were trying to hold some code hostage and stuff. So <laughs> I learned to get better at all of that. And so you learn, you know, things as you're going along. Um, so, you know, I, I've learned, don't worry about the mistakes. Those aren't the problem. It's if you don't learn from your mistakes, that's the problem, right? 
Uh, I mean, you're going to make mistakes. And part of it is, it's good if you're making mistakes because you're actually doing something different. If you're doing the safe thing or the thing you always know, you're not really stretching yourself. You're not what I would say, striving and thriving. Well, how are you using, you know, all of the insights that you've gained and, you know, for lack of a better word, insights, <laughs> uh, that you've gained from your methodologies and with eye research, how are you applying those things? Yeah, I like creating. So I've actually done everything that I've been doing for clients and I decided to create a product of my own. And that's where I've developed a, a mobile app recently called Connect Quick. And that was born from a pain point that I had had. And I said, you know, can I come up with a solution? Um, and I think this is one of the things I realized about myself going back to the early beginnings of doing all of this uh, and why I even got into consulting and branding and marketing and advertising because I just really like solving problems. I don't mind problems. I just love solutions. And so I try to find ways if I can come up with solutions to things. And that's what kind of drove me towards our research. It's also what's driven me towards Connect Quick. Well, tell me about Connect Quick. So what, what is the product and... and um... And, and what does it do and, and how how has how can people access it? It's actually available now on the App Store. It's called Connect Quick, and that's Q-I-K. And this is an app born from the idea, or actually the pain point that I had when I would go to conferences. Um, and I'd walk away from these conferences with a stack of 30, 40, 50 cards. And I'm like, oh my God, am I really going to scan all these or type all these in? It's not the time. So I said, there's got to be a better way to do this in a digital world. And so an idea that's been kicking around in my head for a while, but then I actually found a team that I could work with. And that's, again, you know, finding the right people. And then I said, I, look, I think I can work with a team that's going to help me solve this. And so basically what this uh, app does, it allows you, for example, if you, or not, you and I were to meet in person or even online, I, I can show you my QR code, which is a personalized QR code with your own picture if you want. Uh, where you just basically hold up your, your phone in the camera mode and it will instantly take your contact information and put it into your contacts. No typing, no scanning, nothing. And so that's the immediate benefit of the app. But then, you know, being a believer of conversations, having more engaging interactions, um, the app also goes further in giving you the opportunity to have three different profiles from a personal, business, and a custom profile because if you think about it, today you and I wear multiple hats. And, you know, one business card just doesn't convey all of that. So with this app, it's a much deeper way of giving contact information. Again, it's whatever contact information you want to give. It's up to you. But you can instantly and quickly give it um, to other people. For example, there's a, there's a couple of things in there um, that what I call are conversations starters. Uh, one is a feature called Wonderlust. You can actually put in there places you've been, would like to go in your favorites around the world or even locally. And that's something like, so if you and I were to change, exchange information, I'd say, oh, Noah, wow, you really traveled quite a bit. I'd love to hear more about it. Those are the kind of things that uh, an app like this could help you do. Um, so connect quickly, but also have more deeper engaging interactions. From from my understanding, you know, all that you've done with iResearch, you've become, you know, a, a, a expert in the field. And, and from my understanding, you've written a book as well, right? Correct, yeah. It's called Getting to AHA, Why Today's Insights Are Tomorrow's Facts. 
And basically the premise is that we're all looking for ways to differentiate. And we're in a very hyper-competitive environment in business these days. Because you're no longer just competing with the person down the street or even in the same state or the next state. In many cases, you may be competing with someone around the world. Um, but there's still plenty of opportunity to differentiate. And so how do you find that insight to differentiate? And I would say the key is just all around you, just having these conversations uh, with your customers and, and even your employees to find out ways that you can really make a difference and differentiate. And so, you know, that's, I'm a real believer of insights uh, can make a big difference. It, it's kind of the difference between um, in hockey, do you want to be where the puck is or do you want to be where the puck is headed? And that's where these insights come into play. If you think about it, if you look at the world around you, there's many things we take for a fact that's always existed, but that's not the case. At some point, someone had an insight that led to that product or service being created. So in the book, I'm sure you explain this, but you know, what sort of steps can you know, companies take to you know, leverage their, that information, the insights or the knowledge from you know, those audiences that they're looking at? Well, one of the first things is, I think, uh, is really understanding what I would say are insights. Um, a lot of times people, I think, confuse insights with facts and observations, but I would say it's much more than that. It's a combination of facts, observations, uh, understanding social uh, trends, technological trends. It's combining all that into something that says, aha, that makes sense. And I'll give you an example who I think actually does this really, really well on a regular basis. And those are comedians, right? Really good comedians make many times make you say, oh my God, that is so true. I never thought of that, but it's so true. That's an insight, right? They're taking an observation, things that are happening out in the world, putting it together in a way and presenting it makes you say, you know, that's really interesting and it's so true, but so funny. That's an insight. That's really a really cool example with the comedians. Uh, I, I certainly appreciate and can see the value in that example. Are you saying you're, you're having an aha moment? <laughs> I'm having an aha moment right now. A, a very fitting, very fitting aha moment. <laughs> so I think the thing, to answer your question, I think there's, first is I think getting a mindset, right? And changing mindset, say knowing that you need to go get these insights. Because that really, if you think about it, insights, are the key to innovation. And innovation is the key to differentiation. And that's what you want to do. And the other thing is, it's an ongoing process. And one of the things I talk about in the book is you actually should learn to become your biggest competitor. Because you really can't control the competition. They're going to do what they're going to do, right? And they're going to observe what you're doing, you're going to observe what they're doing. I'm not saying don't keep up with them. See what they're doing, but ultimately, if you learn to out-innovate yourself, and basically you'll control your level of obsolescence. Well, let's switch back to iResearch then. So tell me, for iResearch, what's the future look like for the product? Well, our goal is to basically um, you know, have it out there so people can start doing focus groups. We also are offering a training component to help people train to become uh, a moderator. Because um, that's something, you know, it's the thing... The tool is only as good as people's ability to use it well. So I just want to make sure that we give them the proper training to do that. And this is going to range from free uh, resources to paid resources for training. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I think from there we'll see. We ultimately would like to solve the problem of how to find the participants and so on and make it as simple as possible. And uh, we have a whole other, um, you know, set of things we'd like to add on. But we just want to get the marketplace up uh, and familiar with this level and also train them so they can do it well. In fact, I actually think there might be an opportunity for people who want to do professional moderation to basically get the training and, and start their own gig uh, economy doing moderation. Uh, and they have the tool available for them to do that on their own. Well, let's switch to you, Darshan. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, architect, really, really any person that you look up to and why? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've mentioned Steve Jobs. He certainly was a, a very unique thinker, doer, and he definitely was hungry. I mean, I think he even said, you know, he wanted to make a dent in, in the universe. And I think one would uh, probably agree that he did <laughs> with his products. And so there's many leaders out there, I think, that I, I, I look to and try to uh, listen to and really try to understand what they're really saying and kind of where they're headed and try to dissect it and kind of be a little bit of Sherlock Holmes, right? Kind of deduce what's driving what they're doing and what their thinking is. Um, and I think you can do a lot from that. And, you know, I think there's so many good uh, examples out there constantly from small to medium to large companies. But I think more than anything, really listen to what they're saying. But not only that, try to figure out what's the underlying driver behind that and what's, what's maybe making them do that. Because that might help point in the right direction of the insights they might be seeing themselves. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? Probably would have thought about getting this product out sooner than uh, than now because I think the opportunity um, is always good. But I mean, I think, you know, there's always the thing about timing. Um, but, you know, it's always easier to connect the dots going backwards, right? It's just harder to connect them going forward. <laughs> uh, but that's where insights come in as well, is if you can have those insights to uh, um, to connect them a little bit going forward, it will help you. Um, but uh, I, would, I would definitely work on uh, some timing things that I probably would have done a little bit differently. Well, last question, Darshan. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I would ask them actually a question. How how, or where are they with their product market fit? <laughs> and uh, oftentimes they're, uh, they haven't done enough of that to find out because you know, I'm not, I've been in this position where you're so excited about your product and, and your technology and everything. You just want to get it out. But one thing I've learned is one way or another, your marketplace is going to speak to you, right? Whether you seek it or not. And so the choice isn't whether they'll speak to you. Your choice ultimately is, do you want to listen sooner or later? You know, do you want to listen before you spend a lot of money developing, producing, marketing and all that? Or do you want to do it after you've done all of that? And so, again, that's related to the timing. I would say, you know, do a little bit of uh, insight gathering and testing early on so that you can make those pivots and so on sooner so that when you actually do launch fully with the full arsenal, your chance of being successful have exponentially increased. That's great advice. Well, Darshan, thank you for being on the show today. 
Thank you for telling the creation story of iResearch. No, thank you very much. I enjoyed talking with you. It was a great conversation. Thank you for that. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.